Hello, innovators. I'm Dustin Miller, Poly Innovator. Today, I'm talking with Eugene Kappen, the social media futurist, new media artist, public speaker, and CEO. Thank you for joining me on the Polymath Polycast. Thanks for having me. This is a show by Poly Innovator, so please say hello to the innovators in the audience. Hi, innovators. How are you doing? And I like to address them because I think that people who listen in on this are going to be able to get a lot of experience out of you. From one of the questions we have today, there's a lot of really unique topics that I don't think people have heard about much. And so I think there's a lot of worthwhile, valuable content today. Well, I hope to be able to, you know, express my unique perspective on all things social media and futurism. Hello, and welcome to the Polymath Polycast. Yeah. So we're here to talk about like XR content, social media futurism, like you said there and more. One way I like to break the ice is to have you share something about yourself that no one knows about you. Um, I am a dual citizen. My, my dad isn't from the United States and I'm technically a first generation here born in the United States. That's cool. Yeah. Where, where else are you a citizen at? Uh, I'm, citizen of canada ah but but it's really funny people whenever i say that people are like oh but you came here legally and i like to mess with them a little bit i like to be like how do you know that yeah maybe you crossed the border (laughs) yeah no but uh so what was your mindset then five years ago since you're growing through all this different changes i saw some videos just from two years ago and it seems like you evolved even just in those past two years so five years ago what has changed for you since Well, um, so let's see, 2015, um, I just got out of college with my bachelor's in liberal arts with a focus or an emphasis in YouTube studies. And I was working at a YouTube consulting agency called Press Play as an art director. Uh, And my, my job at the time was to basically produce video content, do motion graphics, and advise as a consultant people how to do their YouTube videos on a much bigger scale. Mm-hmm. Um, we also had a, a lot of like real estate agents just kind of hired the agency to produce their house tour videos. So I got to drive around and do a lot of traveling, just looking at you know unique architecture. And I think that was a lot of fun. And this was right before I really discovered virtual reality, which completely changed the course of everything I had been working up to at that point. That's really cool too. And I like how, I mean, I saw creative director and motion designer all on your LinkedIn. And it was really cool how it evolved over time, YouTube studies and motion, then getting VFX and all these different areas and all the coming together because VR really incorporates all that too. So it was almost like a stepladder. Yeah. Um, whenever I talk about my educational pathway, I, I do like to talk about how I graduated from high school with absolutely no focus. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And my mom, after the summer, after graduation, my mom walked in the room and she was like, Hey, Eugene, are you going to go to college? And I was like, for what? I, right. I don't know what I want to do. Right. And she said, look, I'll pay for two quarters. Just go to community college and take whatever you want. It doesn't matter what, just give it a shot. And so I sat with a, uh, a counselor uh, at the college, at Everett Community College. I'm like, I don't know what I want to do. You know, could you give me some advice on some classes to take? 
And he said, well, what are you interested in? I was like, well, I, you know, I like art. <laughs> yeah. And I like, you know, public speaking, I guess. I like to be the center of attention a little bit. And he was like, okay, you know, let's, let's try art. Okay. I'm like, well, I don't want to live in my parents' basement. Right. Right. Painting. And yeah. she, he was like, well, all right, let's sign you up for some art classes, but you know, we'll, we'll do commercial art that way. You're not, you're not stuck with traditional, right? You can probably find like a corporate job doing art that way. And I was like, okay, cool. And the great thing about art is it's very, it was very much a segue for me. Because it started with color theory and typography and layout design. And it changed from graphic design to web design, which means I had to learn how to code HTML and CSS and a little bit of JavaScript. And back in the day, we had this thing called Flash animation uh, and this whole portal called Newgrounds. And I was like, oh, so graphic design led to web design, which has now led to website design and animation mm -hmm. so i'm making cartoons now which is super cool and because i'm doing that i was like you know why don't i learn film production as well right so it's it's this massive roundabout way where i'm just continuously evolving what my focus is and eventually it went from video production to you know youtube and social media because that was becoming a thing when i was in college and eventually, once I got done with college, virtual reality, or at least this new wave of it, became a thing. And I was like, that's what I was looking for. That's the next step. Well, and you might have not have found that, even at that age, if you didn't have those previous dots to connect it to. Oh, absolutely. Um, somebody actually showed me virtual reality for the first time at a motion design meetup. So... Uh, my roommate, one of my best friends, Topher Welsh, he started the biggest motion design user group in the United States. It's called After Effects Seattle. Okay. It takes place at the Fremont Adobe campus in, in Seattle. And he found the stuff that I was working on back when I was in college because I was a senior editor at a YouTube channel called Comic Shop TV for four years. And part of my job was to go to comic book conventions film people in their cosplay and then do the VFX work to make them come to life. So people are shooting lasers from their eyes and throwing cars into the sun and teleporting and running at super speed. And he was like, this is really cool, man. I cosplay as well. I would love to meet you. Are you coming to the Tacoma Comic-Con? And I was like, actually, funny you would say that I am. He invited me. We became really, really good friends. And, you know, we would end up working together and starting a company years down the road. But because of that, he introduced me to this whole community of professional designers. And one of those designers had created this very early prototype of a VR experience called um, the Iron Giant, hmm. which was Disney's Iron Giant, where the Iron Giant would walk over pick you up and then continue to walk and you'd be like in his hands seeing the world from his view it was really interesting and just mind blown i was like okay i had been looking for forward thinking storytelling devices right. for so long now and vr is it this is what i've been waiting for this is what i've been looking for 
and it's it's here in such a big way and i could just see how it was all going to lay out in that very moment right and i think that it it sounds like it clicked for you and one thing i wanted to kind of touch on too because you mentioned how when you were graduating high school you didn't know what you wanted to go and i feel like it's a common theme for a lot of people on the show as well maybe people listening in because once you experimented you became like this jack of all trades creative and i would even say nowadays creative polymath in a way because there's different scales to it Mm -hmm. that's one reason why i think it's perfect for the show too no less but it's interesting how with your experimentation you just gave it a shot and be able to find the dots and then you had this itch that you wanted to scratch and once you were able to connect the dots you were finally able to scratch it yeah i I think that's true with any person trying to build the future in itself Mm -hmm. or or trying to figure out what they should be doing. I mean, you try, you fail, you pivot, you try right. again, you fail. And it's the evolutionary response of like how people reach success. I mean, Adapting. the one that everybody likes to go to is like, how many ways can you make a light bulb? Well, 10,000 tries before you got it, right? Right. Well, and it's interesting too, because you have to keep trying, you have to keep being dedicated to do it. It's almost kind of an entrepreneur mindset in a way as well. Mm-hmm. And something that you mentioned too is that you had um, education is a big part of Poly Innovator. And one thing I found interesting that you mentioned is that you emphasized YouTube studies for your degree. Mm-hmm. And how did that go? Considering you might have faced some hurdles back in 2012. Sure, YouTube was big then, but not nearly as big now. Yeah, yeah. So um, I got into YouTube because of. Have you ever heard of? video influencers it's mm-hmm. a very big youtube channel uh well benji from that youtube channel uh him and i grew up together oh really uh we were in boy scouts together as kids and when after i came out of working on a film called justin every loads as a vfx artist and a actor so i got to kind of double dip into the project yeah i was like how do i keep this amazing feeling going of working on projects that are bigger than myself working with amazing creatives on things like this and because i live in the pacific northwest it's not exactly hollywood Mm -hmm. how do i how do i get into that market and i called him up because his wife at the time or his soon-to-be wife i think was a very popular youtuber by the name of it's judy time which, you know, she was a makeup guru, or still is, actually. And a lovely human, by the way. So nice. Every time I see her. And I was like, Benji, man, you gotta show me this YouTube thing that everybody's doing. And I went over to his house. He reviewed a bunch of videos for me. And I was like, okay. I feel like I need dedicated time to really explore this whole thing. Right. And that's what college was for me. Um, I I went to Evergreen State for two years. I transferred all my community college credits over for my four year, which is what you do. Mm -hmm. And I spent the first year there doing just basic classes in After Effects and Advanced Physics and Film Studies and Philosophy and Marxist Theory. And then the second year I was there, I took a year-long independent course of just producing YouTube videos by myself. Mm -hmm. And I, college is whatever you make of it. Whatever you put in is what you get out. Whatever time you spend 
focusing on those things is how it's going to affect you in the long run. And college to me, while I could have spent, you know, my free time while working, by going through college, I was able to dedicate my life to figuring out what exactly it means to be a professional YouTuber or right. a creative on camera and behind it. Well, it's interesting too, because a lot of times people go to college to explore themselves. Nowadays, it's getting more expensive and people go to literally like the top tier schools to go explore, whereas mm -hmm. it'd be wiser to go to community college and a smaller time college for your four year if you want to experiment. If you know what you want to do, go for it. But it's a good place to actually do that kind of thing. Oh. I don't know. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, I got into uh, to DigiPen and it would have cost $120,000 to go. But, or I could have gone to Evergreen, which I did, and only spent about 24000 Oh, yeah, significant difference right. there. And you have more difference. Yeah, I think so. Well, and I don't know if you noticed this, but when I added you on LinkedIn, the only two people we had connected was Benji and Sean. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. That's funny. Uh, I took their video ranking academy course. It's one of the only courses I spent a decent penny on, but it was worth it because of the way they explained how to rank a video, get the meta tags, and all that good stuff. Uh, I haven't, I haven't actually gone through their courses or anything, but they were nice enough to send me their YouTube secrets book. Yeah, that's a good book. And like, have you spent like how how does that differ? Out of out of curiosity. YouTube Secrets and the corresponding course with that as well is interesting because it gives you a little bit more of a higher overarching view, whereas the Video Ranking Academy gives you more of a nitty gritty. Like they get okay. into some details for a lot of them too. So it's, was, it basically, was it basically how to do SEO tags or like what consists in the nitty gritty portions of it? Yeah, a lot of SEO, a lot of audio tags. One thing, for example, when you share natively from the video, it helps you rank higher. One thing, when I was watching through your YouTube videos, I tried to leave a lot of comments and like your videos so that way you can heart and pin them. So that's mm -hmm. one of the things they told us on there too. It's like when you engage with the comments like that, which I'm sure you know, is that you start getting more of a rank from that, a rank boost, because you're engaging that's obviously like a, a performing video. And mm -hmm. so hearting and pinning and doing stuff like that, those are some of the degree details. I, there's much more that I took it like a year and a half ago. So it's still kind of fading. I need to go back and rewrite it. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, that whole, that channel is something I hadn't touched in probably a year because I have my main channel, Studio Cap'n with the yeah. 360 animated films and that's doing extremely well for what it is. 20K something, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. We're over, we're almost like 21K mm -hmm. as and you know animation takes forever to produce right it, it's not something i can produce a video every single week for because i mean rendering time alone takes like 30 days per project right uh, kurgoscat's a famous animation channel they have great phenomenal videos but they only do once or twice a month because partially because of rendering time of your course too i remember mm. watching one of your videos too about puget systems sponsoring you and giving you a new computer for it because they basically went from 18 minutes per frame down to what like 40 seconds or something like that yeah <laughs> which i i wish we had it like a year prior right we probably could have got two or three more projects out that's crazy. So why don't we dive into some more of the questions that I only asked one of them so far. So let's start with your company. You're the CEO of Studio Cap and what drove mm -hmm. you to initially create it? Uh, we sold a show. Glitched? Uh, yeah. So we created the show called Glitched. It was, it's actually the first invert reality talk show to ever be ordered as if it was a TV show. Uh, we did three seasons total. One season of it was experimental content on Altspace as part of their big 16 
uh, some of the other shows in that Big 16 were like Reggie Watts, uh, Justin Roiland, who created the show Rick and Morty, is on there. Uh, Sarah Silverman, Michael, Sarah, Tim, and Eric have a, a comedy group called Josh, which was on there as well. Uh, and then us. And we did eight episodes. And when it went under, because they ran out of money, yeah, there was about a three-month gap before between them closing their doors and Microsoft buying them and bringing them back from the dead, right? That's crazy. And in that three months, we were like, well, what do we do with this uh, program? What do we do with this show that we spent all this time, effort, and money building? And that's when Phil Provesdale and his team reached out and were like, hey, we really like your show. Uh, we would like it if you came and were on High Fidelity. And our argument was, well, all space is plug and play. We didn't have to do any setup work, right? But with you guys, we would need like 60 days of runtime, full time, to develop um, animations, stage sets, environments, avatars, and we would have to do custom avatars for every one of our guests. Yeah, which, like I just think, for example. Yeah, which, and it all takes time to do and, you know, effort and money. And they were like, well, what if we ordered a season from you right now? Hmm. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, you want to, like, like a TV, TV show? Yeah. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, what if we order, you know, eight episodes from you right now? What would that cost? And I threw out a number of what I thought we could realistically, you know, on the low end produce it for and they're like good done I was, you should have asked should for have, higher should have asked for more right yeah. and they actually renewed for that same price and uh some things i clearly didn't take some things into account such as we probably needed a bigger marketing budget to to make it really take off we probably could have used uh some vfx help for you know better models uh, we could have hired a producer to make things run more smoothly. And a lot of those are like learning points and pain yeah. points. But again, I, I don't think you're going to get two seasons of a TV show for under 50 grand. Right. Right. Well, and those are learning points that you have to learn while in action, like under yeah. fire, so to speak. You can't just yeah. predict. I mean, and I think that's also the pain point of being the first to market to do yeah. something like that. Exactly. Is you just don't know any better and yeah. that's fine. Yeah. I like that. That's a good learning point as well. And so for people who might be unaware, what is XR content creation? Uh, so XR content creation is basically scheduled content any in any measurement of virtual reality, mixed reality, or augmented reality. Uh, usually through some sort of visual storytelling or auditory explanation um and that can actually come in many many forums for us that was our in vr talk show where people are teleported to another world that's our 360 video content on our youtube channel um but if you really want to get into it uh there are there's like a bose vr head or ar headset that mm. just does auditory responses um, based on your environment. So it might tell an entire story all, just through auditory and not visual. Interesting. And, and so that's one version of AR that people don't take a lot of, into, uh, into consideration. I wonder if you could do something like that for a podcast. 
uh, you can do that for a podcast. You can do it for taste. You can do it for touch. Mm. I mean, like, I, I'm not sure what a, a storytelling device for touch would look like, but that would be something well, really cool to explore. Yeah. So I was watching some of your 360 videos and there was like some, just, you're in different rooms. I remember the Pac-Man kind of going through a lot of the uh, hallways there, kind of a spooky experience. And it reminded me of the escape room. And I've done mm-hmm. VR escape rooms as well. And I've also done some that were live. And one of them was a temporary room we had up because I worked for a facility that ran them. And it was interesting. It was, you had it blindfolded. You couldn't see. You could only mm-hmm. hear and touch things because there wasn't any taste or smell per se. But there was a whole bunch of touch. And you had to go through the room by feeling your way through. I wonder if you can get enough haptic feedback to do that in VR too. Yeah, you could definitely do that in, in VR. Uh, I've seen it done. Mm-hmm. Um, something that just came to mind is my Alexa actually suggested escape, an escape room experience off of the Alexa the other day. And I was mm-hmm. like, Alexa has escape rooms? And I, it has like a bunch of commands that you can like give it to like yeah. ask around the room and reorient things and tell it to do different things i'm like huh that's interesting it reminds me of those text-based adventures from like the late 90s something like that oh i loved those those are great but it kind of it's kind of like an audio version of that oh it's definitely it's just an updated version of that yeah but it is interesting how if if you look at how history repeats like that you just got to find the medium that it's repeating in oh of course like for example vine and tiktok there too which we can get into a little bit later what do you think it takes to create native good, like good native VR content? Hmm. Uh, well, there is, man, that's such a big question. Uh, so I'm going to take it from the perspective of 360 video for YouTube, uh, just to save us some time. Uh, so I would, I would look at it at the four quadrant method that I like to use. So if you want content to go viral or at least to to get a wider use audience there are four different things that you can have uh the first one is flagpole content which is usually related to some sort of event that's going on yearly so if you want to make like uh ces or something like that well ces the oscars packs um Mm -hmm you know, the release of a, of a movie, maybe there's like a movie series that every single year, there's a new Fast Marvel. and Furious movie oh, or something, Fast, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, the second thing is fandom. Is there already a pre-built audience for this experience? So like when our Super Mario video went viral, it was because there was already a pre-built audience for it, right? Right. There are already people going, I love Mario, I love Nintendo, I love everything in there. And then 360 video just happened to be the device to retell that story in a unique way that a lot of people had just never seen before. Uh, The third thing is uh, quality. So it, it has to be good. Like if you're models aren't up to date, if your audio sounds like crap, if your lighting isn't you know, cinematic or nobody can tell what's going on. People aren't going to like the experience. They're not going to sit into it. They're not going to hang in there to watch the whole thing. They're going to leave, which is going to drive down 
uh, viewership, click-through rate, you know, everything in it, right? And then the last thing is, of course, marketing, and that's how you're taking that experience and you're delivering it out there into the world and going, hey, I want everybody to, to see my Super Mario 360 animated film, which means I'm going to hit up every single Nintendo enthusiastic or Mario group I can find, maybe every retro video game group I can find and be like, I'm going to, hey, I don't know if this is interested to anybody, but I just spent 11 weeks of my life making this minute and a half video. Don't let it flop, right? right. Well, and not, not to mention the fifth secret one as well. Which is? Paid. Yes. That is. So it's interesting too, because I've not really done any paid options much, but I definitely tried to find that niched one of like, even though I'm kind of anti-niche in a way, polymathy is kind of a niche in itself. And so I went to every different website, all these different forums, and tried to find all these pockets of polymaths and tried to bring them all together. So that's kind of what I've been trying to do. It's a good example of what you were saying there. And it's the same for you with Mario. And actually, even before I met you on Matchmaker... I had been aware of your Mario VR video somehow, maybe because of Kotaku or something like that. I, it just came up maybe. in my feeds. Wait, it was on Otaku? <laughs> Kotaku, I think. I don't know. Um, I don't know. Like this was, It must have came up in my feeds, which would have been one of those gaming sites. Um, that, that would be new to me, man. <laughs> yeah. I, I wish Nintendo would actually make it, though. I know they played around with VR, and they always had the 3DS and whatnot. Uh, so the Nintendo Switch actually does have yeah. a VR system. Level. It's just the uh, the controls are like on the head, which yeah. may get a terrible experience. Well, I don't know why they don't just add another like special feature for it. Like just add a new kind of Joy-Con that's just for VR, where you slide it on the Switch and then you have the other Joy-Cons right here in your hands. Yeah. Something like Blossom that. me, man. <laughs> yeah. No, but what do you think? What Where do you hope companies like Nintendo can take the space? I I think... I think they should be taking the content that they've already created dedicated audiences for and then just converting it into accessible content through virtual reality mm -hmm. and gives it a little bit more exploratory resources as far as creating unique experiences that relate to that type of technology. Uh, so I've always wanted to know what, you know, what those mushrooms or fire flowers taste like. Yeah. Or, you know, what they feel like when you touch them. Or, well, you know, maybe I've only ever experienced, uh, outside of my, my own experiences, uh, the Super Mario world being dimensionality reduced content, which is, you know, the 2D world. So I don't know what spatial audio inside of the Mario world sound like. Is everything going to sound like lava in one direction? And you know, grasslands in another world, right? Right. I, I, I can't remember, but there was a certain mod for either a Mario or a Zelda game that gave it more special facial awareness, and I just can't remember what it was and where I found it, but I was on a rabbit hole one day and whatnot. Be interesting. Uh, are, you, are you talking about the Legend of Zelda remake in Unreal? Yes, I think that might have been it, because it had more spatial awareness where like, you could hear the fairy flying around you on this side or hear the monsters on that side, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, that's like an independent artist who's yeah. basically rebuilding our creative time into an updated video game. That sounds about right. 
and it's interesting too because i actually looked into making vr content a few years ago when i was trying to find like what could i do beyond just the basic written audio visual mm-hmm. and so i was trying to be on the cutting edge like you what are some tools or ways to create it like unity or something yeah so unity is a great device to do it um if not you want something a little bit more robust but in the same category unreal might be a really good choice if you come from a straight motion design background i would suggest using after effects with element 3d because it works perfectly in alignment and that's actually what we created uh, a lot of our experiences out of i mean we didn't 100 percent use you know c4d for our stuff but you know that works right right um and then you know you can use Blender if you want. You can use basically any 3D program or 3D motion design or artistry program to create a 360 camera inside of it now and render those frames out as ecto-rectangular maps, throw it into Adobe Premiere and you know export it as a 360 file. Hmm. That's interesting. As I know there's like InstaVR, which is kind of a, a cheap way of making... 360 content kind of thing and i didn't realize that you could do a lot of those mappings to it and exporting it that way yeah i so i i tend to stick more with like the animated uh 360 content mm-hmm. or in game engine content over straight 360 video out of cameras just because i never feel like they're high enough quality for me yeah they, they always look kind of shoddy or grainy or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of pivoting a little bit to quote your company. I, I like this quote here is the world of technology is changing and we're giving it a personally personality by creating engaging, interactive and entertaining content. I love this. And I'm curious to see how you go about doing it. Uh, so one that's again, our, our 360 video content that's glitched, but we also do a lot of fun mic um, marketing tests. Mm. So, for instance, we put out a stock photography set of me and a VR headset that went viral. Mm -hmm. And I think it has almost 5 million views on Pexels. A ton of other stock, because we released it for free, a ton of other stock photography websites stole our content and reposted it onto their website. So, we can't even track those. And we tried to calculate like where the stuff is being shown up inside of uh, Google because you can do reverse image searches. And about a year ago when we calculated it, it was looking at like 25,000 uses through articles and websites and videos on YouTube using our images. So I kind of became the, my face became the unofficial face of (laughs) virtual reality simply for being funny, I guess. Yeah. And, and, whatnot. and and the photos that we put out were purposely meant to be kind of ridiculous. It's interesting too, because I remember you, I was watching one of your videos and you were talking about how you went to an event and they already had your pictures like up on the wall. It's like you saw yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, I was invited to go talk at this event and they were like, hey, can we get a stock photo for me or a personality photo i'm like you guys already have one they're like uh no you didn't send it to me i'm like no i'm looking at your banner that's that's me on your banner and they're like 
what really i'm like yeah that's crazy well and i was thinking too since even though you can't track all of where your stock images are for mm -hmm. this first batch it is giving you virality it's giving you context like people are you're showing up people's feet sure like if you're wearing a vr headset they can't see your face per se yeah but um maybe <clears> with the next one you can like brand the front of it or something like that <laughs> um but it's interesting because at least now you're getting that exposure so to speak i mean i i guess <laughs> most people don't know it's me which is yeah. hilarious and anytime I, I found my face being used on the front of a website for a what a game studio hmm. and i contacted them and i was like hey thanks for using my face so like oh th this is a stock photo we we promise we're not you know blah 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 i'm like no, that's what it was there for. I was just yeah. introducing myself. Say hi. Yeah, that's my face. And, you know, people will freak out if you, you know, tell them that your face is on their website. Mm -hmm. um, actually, there's this Chinese 360 platform that's kind of like YouTube in a way. And, but they only do 360 video content. Mm -hmm. And the face they were using as their American audience was me. <laughs> And the CEO of the company was in Canada giving a talk on their creator grant that they were doing because they needed more content. And I introduced myself as the guy on their website. I was just like, oh, that's so funny. And then we had a nice conversation that kind of switched between Chinese and English, which was great. Do you speak Chinese? Uh, a little bit. That's good. Yeah. Uh, learning all these new languages is always a nice experience. Yeah, I it's taking forever to to learn it now. yeah uh <laughs> Cantonese not, or not, mandarin? uh straight mandarin straight mandarin that's cool yeah it is hard it's definitely very different than what english is like yeah so we both have a passion for content and i respect that what do you think is the future of content creation kind of going into that futurism aspect of the episode so i was listening to your um fireside chat um last night that that you recommended i listened to before and this this five minute clip i think you nailed it buddy okay. um so there there definitely is a social media life cycle as far as content being created through these platforms that you know go through these massive life cycles and either they spawn up because everybody wants to own a social network right yeah uh and they either burn out because they run out of money or they don't get high enough adoption to be able to raise money yeah. or they get bought out right and then they can either go the way of instagram where they get the support they need to keep going or they burn out like vine right where it's like this platform isn't making us any money. We spent a billion dollars buying it. You know, we have to shut it down because it's just hemorrhaging money. We don't know how to make it profitable, right? Right. Or the last thing is where it becomes too big to fail. Mm -hmm. And at that point, the website never goes away. It just gets archived. And that's MySpace. where, yeah, MySpace <laughs> gets archived. Um, Facebook will eventually get archived, right? Mm -hmm. Too many people use it, but you know, that's how kids are communicating with grandma because that's what they use for social media, right? Right. And there's always going to be some new platform that shows up. And right now the hot one is TikTok, yes. right? 
or you know linkedin or even bite too. or bite bites good too yeah. yeah uh which i don't think they're getting in the same mass adoption that they probably deserve mm. um which really speaks to you know the limitations of short form content now for me um a social media futurist I'm always talking about how do we get to this place of the metaverse? Like how do, how do we go through enough cycles that we get from TikTok to everybody using VR chat? Yeah. And people don't realize VR chat in itself is a social media platform. High fidelity in itself is a social media platform. Alt space in itself yeah. is a social media platform. And I'm waiting for, LinkedIn and Altspace to sync up and that's how people are taking business meetings mm -hmm. or Facebook buying Oculus was a great move on them because they knew that Facebook's eventually going to die out or get archived where people are still going to be able to go to it, but it just won't be as useful down the road. And so the, they were like, how do we expand on this? How do we, you know sidestep or pivot right mm -hmm. and that's where like facebook horizons comes in right because now they're trying to create their own vr platform their own vr social platform to monopolize on how things are eventually going to evolve right because we know what's going to happen and we've seen even with the pandemic things accelerating like zoom adoption for example mm -hmm. and Everything's going to, we've planned this, this whole kind of trajectory out, but when it's going to happen is kind of the question, so to speak, when are we going to get to that metaverse? And it's interesting too, because both the Xbox 360 and PS3 had their own sort of like uh, gaming social networks there where they wanted to have your avatars in that world. Mm -hmm. I don't know what they were called, but it was <laughs> interesting how they're trying to adopt that even back 15 years ago, 10 years ago. I'm, I'm curious about it. And just for people who haven't heard that Fireside Micropolycast, it was one of those things where I was talking about how different content's being used too. Not, not only decentralized and how the whole space is going to be, but mm -hmm. if you have an image platform like Instagram or Pinterest, it's not where you're at per se that matters. It's the content itself. And so there's actually more of an image layer. So all the images are the same per platform. You just get to use what platform you prefer. And that's how I think some of it's going to evolve. Uh, have you paid attention to the shift in content on Instagram? A little bit. What are you noticing? Uh, so I, where everybody's going from these like very flashy model-esque pics on it to mm. informational carousels. Yes. Yeah. Those yeah. So, and I, and I think Christo is really leading uh, that. <laughs> future. Uh, yeah. I, I love Pun future. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, for anybody who's interested, um, carousels are basically swipeable content within the same post. And what people are doing is they're using text, really well laid out text, to illustrate different points versus video because it might take you longer to go through the carousel over the video, which boosts your engagement time. Mm -hmm. And the algorithm basically goes, people are spending a lot of time on this post which means higher engagement, which means they're staying on the website longer and they're doing more interactions. So we're going to share it to more people. Right. And as somebody who creates content, your job is to get as much engagement for as long as you can 
and as much as you can. And well, it's it's a great way to do it. Yeah, like stories when they first came out was a great way. Now they've kind of slowed down a little bit. Same with, I think Instagram Reels that they've been pushing out a lot where I've been noticing, I actually can't get my Reels to work. Since they came out, I cannot make a successful video with Reels. Really? It's it just keeps breaking down every time I try to upload or render or like huh. analyze or whatnot. I think I, I got one up. I got one up. And so now I have the channel for it, but that was weird. And then, but like on the actual feed, I'm seeing almost like a third of it being reels, despite the fact not everyone are, I follow is reels. Are you doing um, like a native post? Or tried, are you just like, or are you just like stealing your content from like TikTok and re-uploading both. it? I tried both. Okay. It, native actually worked, but it was very, I had to try a couple of times to get it to work. Hmm. This was, this was like a month ago. So I might've gotten patched or something like that. Might uh, be a bug. Yeah. But it's interesting too, like you're saying, once those new features come out, there's a new one coming out called Guides. Not everyone has them, but it's kind of almost like a little mini course on Instagram. Mm. It's kind of cool. Okay. And um, so I'm looking forward to be able to access that and that kind of thing. But yeah, so you're, you, you're definitely on the, on the point there. When you get those new systems like that, to try to take advantage of them. Even TikTok had some new features a while back, and I think they're trying to experiment with them too. Mm-hmm. Speaking of TikTok, what I find is interesting is that you and I are the only two people I've actually heard say this. TikTok is like Vine 2.0. I, and it's- I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't consider it Vine 2.0. I would okay. consider it's its its, its own thing, yeah. but it's definitely reminiscent and a support in the argument that short-form content is important. Uh, I would say Vine was, what, what was it, 15 seconds, right? Uh, I think it was like six or seven. So TikTok is actually, you know, a full minute, which mm-hmm. is, you know, six times longer. It so took a long I, time I, to get to that though. Yeah. So, I mean, I think constraints for content provides, um, creativity. Mm-hmm. I, I think people going, okay, how do I create the most creative video I can in that set period of time? When you give people longer, I feel like they get a little bit lazy. So like even with my vlog, I might have 20, 30 minutes of content filmed, but I'm shrinking it down to only the best five minutes. Mm -hmm. And that's really challenged me to like cut out every little um, any dead space, any jokes have to hit right away. Mm-hmm. And because I'm doing that level of constraint within my vlogs, it makes it more engaging and people want to watch it more. And I think this is part of the reason why David Dobrik was actually very successful in his vlogs. He came from a Vine background. That's how he learned how to make content. And he transferred that to his own vlog where all of his videos are exactly four minutes and 20 seconds. Hmm. That's funny. And it's interesting too, because I got that quote from you almost verbatim, but that was like two years ago, I think, um, or a year ago or something like that. It was from one of your videos. But yes, I do agree. It's its own thing. And one thing I was actually noticing too, when it comes to like the web design aspect or the actual UI design, it's evolved immensely in the past 15 years. Mm-hmm. So Vine had almost a discoverability issue where it the only really category that really grew is the comedy. Whereas with TikTok, it's comedy, it's, uh, it's more DIY. There's also maybe like, hey, there's a Star Wars fandom. There's all kinds of this mix and matches between different categories and areas. 
I think that's, that's a different way to do it. I, I think it's definitely interesting how self-aware TikTok is. Yeah. But they're like, welcome to Stock Talk, yeah. the stock area of TikTok. Or like each group has its own little community within the application. Yeah, and, I wish it was a way and to it's all Well, it's organizing it for you. True. That's, that's how their algorithm works. It figures out what exactly you like, what triggers you, what makes you engage, what makes you hit the like button. And then it serves you more of that content. Mm-hmm. So you might be on the app for, you know, a week or two, and then suddenly your entire feed is clowns for some reason, right? <laughs> right. Or beautiful girls or mechanic tips mm-hmm. or, you know, travel videos, you know, whatever it speaks to you. And it's going to be like, you know, this guy, he's definitely into cars. He's part of the car community. And then you can grow that community that way. And right. then with the way that the entire app is laid out where it's just a continuous nonstop loop of content, which trains you to want to be there forever. I mean, yeah. your five minutes of <laughs> TikTok is now, you know, 35 minutes, right? Right. Well, I mean, and just last night when I was in bed, I was watching TikTok. 15 minutes before our call, I was watching TikTok. <laughs> so every once in a while, if you watch TikTok long enough, it'll show you this, uh, this very specific set that they have where it's like, stop. You've been, you should like take a break and go outside and get water. Mm-hmm. If I see that, I'm like, okay, I need to stop right now because <laughs> it's telling me that I've binged enough. I think the reason why they have that now is because of Lightbox Gnome. Uh, it's just a handle. He is known as like Champa, Little Champa or something like that, where he like made these videos like, it's 2 a.m., go to sleep. And like, he would be consistent every night at like, He's, I think he's on your uh, time zone. He'd be like 10 p.m. in your time zone just ranting at people to go to sleep, go get some water, mm-hmm. go brush your teeth, go to bed. And he did it for so long that he was like on everybody's For You page, sometimes multiple times in a row. And I think that's one reason why people started kind of copying that. Because I saw two different people doing it last night. And so I think huh. other, other people, now, it was like a trend. And now TikTok's kind of building it into it in a way. Yeah, and I know that they have their own um... – playlist account mm. of just people who have made videos like that and that's what they're showing from yeah it's crazy to think about these these different platforms and their algorithms speaking of social media i'm kind of pivoting just a little bit here there's a bunch of blockchain based platforms like hive.blog dtube and more mm-hmm. what do you think about decentralized platforms uh, i think decentralized platforms are great in terms of accountability. Mm. Uh, So one of the big things with social media that people like to get into right now is, uh, and and not to be overly political, but Trump's Twitter, right? Mm -hmm. And because he is a sitting president, anything he tweets becomes public record. Mm -hmm. And it's against the law for him to, to delete a tweet. Weird. And, and block people too, I think. Is what yeah, it's e- because that uh, goes against like freedom of uh, speech. And he's a public servant to the United States people, and even though he likes to, you know, think otherwise. Right. So, and I think accountability in social media is incredibly important. I mean, if you are going to be a terrible person online, it should reflect your life. And if it's if you're going to be a terrible person online and 
I mean, you should be reprimanded in real life for it. I mean, all the time people post things that are incredibly insensitive or racist or, you know, homophobic and that gets screen captured and shared to their work and they lose their job. And that is part of our social contract that we have as people using the internet. It's a construct of sorts. Oh, absolutely. And I think decentralized or block-based social media is just a way of creating that accountability where nothing can get deleted, nothing can get changed once it's out there because it's the internet, it's out there. Well, and Hive.blog is a really interesting example too because it's basically like Reddit and Medium had a baby. And so you have like these blog posts, but they're also kind of Reddit based where you can upvote and downvotes. And so if something's insensitive, it's kind of up to the community to downvote it and push it down the rankings. And if I guess if it gets to a certain point, it will stop being shown or something. But still, it's interesting how democratic it can be. I, I haven't had a chance to be on that site yet. Yeah. But it, it, if you like Reddit, where if you're downloading a, downvoting a post, it'll get pushed down the feed. Yeah, my, uh, my account on Reddit is so old <laughs> that it stopped giving karma for like six years. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Well, and you know what makes me mad? I remember actually watching a video that you were talking about how you got Twitter really early on. And I was on Twitter super early on, like 2010, 2011. Uh, not, that's not super early on, but early on for most people. Mm-hmm. And I ended up deleting my Twitter, which might have been a good thing because I didn't say anything bad or anything like that. But I don't know. I was a teenager at the time. I might have said something stupid politically or something like that. Yeah. Um, but I deleted it. And then I eventually made a new one for my brands. And I just wish I had the old ones. So I had that history, like the age and the, the yeah. followers. All that. You have a wide range of knowledge from VR to marketing to viral growth and even business as a CEO. How has your multidisciplinary life been evolving for you? Oh man, that is such a loaded question. It uh, <laughs> it's perfect um, for the next one. I, I think it's good to have a team of okay. people that you can count on for different facets and different things for advice. So like if I need help with marketing, I would go to my partner Topher. Mm-hmm. If I need business advice or to basically springboard ideas off of, of things that we should take in consideration, to double down on, I have Tavis Hamilton, uh, which is our business development guy. When I want to talk about technology and unity development, we have a CTO named Audrey Lane, mm. who is very, very knowledgeable in this capacity. Look, as, as a CEO, it's not up to you to have 100% of the answers, all right? But it's up to you to make sure that there are people within reach of you that have those answers that you can call on when needed. It's like, unless you have an IQ of like 250 or something, which, you know, you're what, maybe 20 people on the planet do, right? Right. Uh, you're, You're not going to have all the answers. You're not going to be able to see how everything is going to play out. But being a well-rounded individual, you know, helps personal growth and it helps you being able to associate with different people in your life that you might come into contact with. Um, While I have only been to say China uh, one time for vacation Mm -hmm. with some, with some people, 
I would say my my knowledge of Chinese culture because I had dated somebody who was Chinese for three years is a lot more than the average person. So when we talk about Chinese politics in government or technology or safety concerns over, say, TikTok, mm-hmm. my my knowledge is going to be much better than the average person. I wouldn't say that's you know something that I actively spent a ton of time going after that just happens to be because I took the time to be a well-rounded individual that I can relate to that information. And then I can show off and be like, Hey, this is what I think is actually happening. And it's because I know X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. Well, you're able to make those connections more because you have that knowledge area. And I think that's a good distinction between a CEO and a polymath, even if a polymathic CEO is that CEO needs to be a connector. Even if you know Mm -hmm. many different areas, have people you can connect with. You have to have a team around you if you're trying to build something that grand and don't try to do it all yourself. Maybe you could by the time you're 100, but it's much more effective and efficient if you have a team. Oh, absolutely. And I I think it goes for anybody trying to live their best life, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you are the representation of the five people that you have around you most, right? Mm -hmm. So why not make those people as amazing and love-filled and, you know, very motivated as possible? Because in return, you are going to be very love-filled and motivated, right? Yeah. You share those emotions. It's, a, it's almost like a happy virus, so to speak, where if you smile at someone, it makes them smile too. I like that. Happy virus. Yeah. Let's make everybody happy. So this leads me to my next question. It's actually something I ask all my guests is, what is a polymath to you? Uh, a polymath is somebody who has a unique ability to very quickly learn mathematics. Like that's, you're, you know, the guy from Goodwill Hunting. Mm-hmm. Like he was a polymath. It's something that comes very naturally to you without a ton of extra learning. Or you have a unique interest in, so say like a piano prodigy, right? Okay. It, it's not somebody who just has an interest in the piano, or is able to pick it up very easily. It's somebody who has a equal combination of the ability to learn it, but the willingness to learn it with such ferocity that it becomes part of who they are. Mm -hmm. So when you have those two things, that's when you get a prodigy. And those two things relate to any subject. You know, you might have somebody who can pick up, um, skills to be an artist very easily it comes very naturally but if they do not have the fire in them to want to actually learn it and the ability to put it into action at a very fast pace you know that's that's how you get that prodigy or that's how you don't get that prodigy if they don't have those two things it's interesting too. You, you might have that insane curiosity, but also just the fact that you have to have that fire. And just to kind of clarify too, polymath has nothing to do with mathematics unless you're a mathematic polymath, but because that math comes more from down the knowledge area in uh, Greek. It's, it's just the way they, mathemaia or something like that, the way they say it. But it is interesting how having that fire is a real determining factor. You're very right, I think, on the point on that. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, if, if we're going to talk about poly anything, we could, I, I, I think the best example in the world is probably Batman. <laughs> yeah. Right. 
Uh, I mean, that guy is uh, poly everything, right? And and to like nerd out for a minute, um, I actually think that's that's his. Everybody says his superpower is like money, and that's that's very true. But I, I think his his intellect as like the world's greatest detective is what his actual superpower is. It's the ability to learn very quickly and with such fire because he's a very motivated individual, you know, by revenge mm-hmm. or or his sense of justice. Yeah, but at the same time, he can basically take 25 years of education and training and, you know, making his body as perfect as possible and he can get it down to about a two-year process, right? Right. So there, there are many different forms of, of poly um, education. There's poly athlete, where you're just such a naturally skilled athlete that you can build your body to be, you know, really good at sports in any category. Oddly enough, if you're a really good pitcher, if you're a world-class, you know, pitcher for baseball, odds are you're probably going to be very good at basketball. Yeah. And you're going to be very good at golf and you're really going to be good at track and field probably. Right. Right. Or if you're really good at, you know, science, then you're probably really going to be good at, you know, chemistry and um, aerodynamics and as a mathematician. Well, and so one thing I've been working on recently is this multidisciplinary spectrum. So there's always these terms like jack of all trades, polymath, multipitualite, specialists, and I wanted to put them in a way for people could see them. And there's a term I relatively coined there called the niche polymath. So polymaths are generally people who are, have a wide range of knowledge in many different areas, usually the distant areas, like science, arts, and mathematics, and like having music and stuff like that they, they're very different even though they are interrelated whereas this niche polymaths are kind of like what you mentioned there too where like the mathematics or uh roger federer is a sports polymath where he literally dabbled in dozens a dozen, over a dozen different sports as a kid before he finally decided to stick down to just one and it was because of his wide range that he's actually became so good at that one sport and so it's interesting how he's a sports polymath like you alluded to moments ago so it's very interesting have, have you ever looked at um, Dan Locke's success pyramid? Yes. Okay, so where do you have like the generalist, then the experts, and then, or it's, and then eventually get to like the celebrity portion? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's kind of the same way where your interest might be very wide and then you start niching down to the point where, you know, you're the professional or you're the expert or you're the celebrity version of whatever that interest is. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was, you know, content creation and XR, you know, I could have been a, a painter. I could have been strictly an animator. I could have been a web designer or a graphic artist. And I ended up doing this weird combination Amalgam. of, yeah. yeah, like I learned everything. And then I settled on, you know, what I was looking for, which was XR content creation, right? Well, it's interesting because our past are a little bit similar in that regard too, where I took graphics design courses. I started actually doing spriting, which is a type of graphics design for 2D games back when I was a teenager. And oh, were you doing like pixel art? Yeah, pixel art. Yeah. And so um, I was doing the pixel arts. I was doing content creation as well over the years. And so I learned all these different art forms and then eventually 
even trying to learn web design as well, UI, UX, and all of these different different areas is coming together now with Poly Innovator. And so mm-hmm. I actually kind of want to go into that a bit with you because I love content creation, repurposing, automation, all these different niches, so to speak. So I think between batching and healthy automation, repurposing and more, there's a prime combination you can make to really amp up your content creation cycles. You've talked about batching a lot of your content as well. What are your thoughts on it? Uh, so I think taking into account the social media dispar- distribution model mm-hmm. is something every content creator should be doing. And on my website, High Tech Influencer, I actually have a free ebook that t- teaches you exactly how to do this. Mm-hmm. So you might take your long form content, which is the video version of this, and say you put it onto YouTube and Facebook and uh, IGTV, and then you take the audio and you put it onto Anchor, mm-hmm. and Anchor sends it out to ten or twelve different platforms. So you're in. So that one piece of content is now. 15 pieces of content, even though you really made just one piece of content. Right. And then you might take specific clips and you might put that onto Facebook or Instagram or TikTok. Right. And then you have, you know, 20 pieces, right? And then you might take the full length video and the audio version and you might create medium articles of both of those and then re put them onto Blogger with the same articles. And then put those onto Tumblr and then take all that content, put it onto, I don't know, Google Plus, if anybody uses Google Plus anymore. It's actually dead. Is yeah. it dead? Yeah, yeah dead, I, dead. I, I was, I was going to say, like, it's, <laughs> it, if it's not dead. Or it, blockchain platforms, too. That's what I was or thinking or well. blockchain platforms, which it's, would be, like, the new version, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, to kind of interject a little bit there too, I read that playbook that you sent out. I, I liked it. I actually thought it was really high quality. So good on you. I've read a lot of oh, them like you. that. And I, I actually think that what you made there was really actually high quality. Because I've also looked at, it kind of reminds me of Gary Vee's content model. Although I think yours actually had more specific details. His was kind of more mm-hmm. macro view. Uh, Bro- which a broad lot of, strokes, yeah. Yeah, broad strokes, exactly. Because the thing is, he was trying to just convince people versus actually teaching them for it. And then there's a guy named Doc Williams who I've had on the show. He actually made the Gary Vee model 2.0. And I actually took both of those and made my own. So I actually, when I created this omni-channel content strategy, I came up with about 107 posts once I counted them all out. It was interesting because I don't know how well it would work per se for everybody, but it's interesting what could be done, so to speak. So my main series actually omni-content, which I would like to get your opinion on if you could, I start out with a blog post because that's what I'm used to. I make a slideshow out of it. I record over the slideshow, make a video, take the audio out, make it into a polycast. And then I do the micro content from there and try to spread it out from there. What do you think is the limitations of then of repurposing content? Uh, wow. So I, I don't think they're as, hmm. That's a really good question, actually. Uh, so I think as we tend to get more and more social networks that pop up. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think repurposing will ever end. I mean, you could even go as far as creating new content out of your old content or be like, Hey, remember when I made video X? Mm-hmm. Well, this is me reviewing my old videos. Right. Right. And so I, I think the limitations are as your limitations on creativity. Right. So I've definitely seen a lot of YouTubers do that with some of their old videos. Like, I'm going to go react to my old videos, something like that. Uh, 
YouTube suggested one of my earliest videos I've ever put up. Mm -hmm. And I looked at it and I was like, God, this is so cringy. I, I, and this was before I went to school. This is like when I had my very first podcast talking about comic books and because I'm a big old nerd. Right. And I, I just, I had a podcast called the comic shop. It was me and this guy named Pat Mest, uh, who was one of the guys from Justice Never Reload, the very first film I was ever in. And we did probably 20, 30, 40, 50 episodes just talking about the news and comic books and the history of different comic book artists. And I wanted to do video. He wanted to stay uh, a podcast. I was like, well, podcasts are going to video. And mm -hmm. You know, history teaches us that I was right. Yeah. Uh, even though podcasts made a huge return down the road in terms of uh, virality and people wanted to watch it, right? Or people wanted to listen to it. So I, I think give and take a little bit. And I tried to give a go at it as a single person um, doing this show alone where I was just covering the news. And it is, it's cringy. It's so bad. I don't know but how you had to have edit history. Yeah, I, do, I don't know how to edit very well. I don't know how to represent myself on camera. I don't know how to keep talking. Mm -hmm. There's all these awkward little pauses throughout the whole thing. And I don't think I was wired to be able to do it yet. Mm. But again, when, when you're starting this whole career of being a content creator in any category, uh, we always tell people to make 100 terrible posts. Yeah. And that's how you get the experience. I, I see a lot of kids right now going, when I grow up, I want to be a content creator. And that's when, okay, what are you doing? They're like, well, I made 10 posts and nobody watched them. Like, awesome. Make 90 more. Right. Because that's how you learn how to be good on camera. That's how you get to a place where people want to actually watch you on camera. Right. Well, and I had a similar experience with my blog. I started my blog back in 2011. And back then, they were very short posts, cringy, kind of opinionated, not really had too much value to it. Mm -hmm. But eventually, I started revamping them, doing more with it. I moved it to Medium, which I actually avoid Medium now. But at the time, it was a really good option. I moved it there. And at this point, I had like 115 articles on there. So I got that 100 experience, so to speak. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so what was what was the prompt to get, so what was it before it was called um, the Polycast? So I have multiple series that my main brand is Poly Innovator, and so before oh. that it was called the United Living Construct. That was a previous endeavor I did, kind of like your <laughs> comics. Uh, and so what I did with that was try to create a hub of innovation. And so I created a blog post, and I was eventually going to make videos and podcasts for it. I said actually did start making podcasts. That's how I got into podcasting was through that. And if you actually scroll down on the Polycast, I I put those in there for people who are curious. Let me ask you this: What was the diff What was it like trying to produce a bunch of different content that was very very different on all these social platforms versus doing a straight distribution? model that we just talked about like the repurposing model yeah so it was very complicated and i think that was part of the issue where i was trying to do too many things at once and as someone who's polymathic i was determined to try more so i think than most people who have probably given up on that and i'm still determined to try and i still feel like i'm overwhelmed sometimes with it but i'm just trying to find the right things to optimize and get it done 
it was interesting because I was making separate series for each platform, even Instagram too. So I wasn't even repurposing quotes or anything like that. And so it was interesting how I was trying to come up with strategizing different Instagram posts, different YouTube videos, different podcasts. It came down to the formats and scripting. And eventually I saw overlap of how I made my scripts for my videos and for my podcasts. So I started combining that. Eventually my scripts for my videos really started showing promise for blog posts as well. Not like mm -hmm. necessarily just, just the outline, so to speak, how I formatted them. And so I was able to find some overlap, which is why what led me to that repurposing area and you feel like your time is better well spent now right oh, oh yeah definitely yeah. and it's interesting too because i've had some of the best repurposing people such as doc williams Dan, uh hanny mora uh kareem mustafa people who are big in the space on the show and i'm going to get amy woods down the line as well but yeah so what are some viral marketing tactics you know of or in other words how can we make content that moves uh so i would say uh look for different ways to repurpose your content and just to get it out there. I mean, the point of being a, a social entrepreneur or a social marketer is to be everywhere, always, forever, right? Right. All right. Uh, so one of the things that we've found to be super successful that not many people do is we made a Giphy account. Yeah, that went viral. And, right? and we cut a bunch of you know, animated GIFs off of our show. Anytime mm -hmm. anything would go wrong, we put context in it and we put it out there and we got millions of views. Actually, I'm kind of, I haven't checked in a while. I'm going to check it right now. Sounds good. And just to kind of, while, while you're doing that, share my little part of it. I went on Quora to try to get traffic as well. And since I went on there almost daily for about a year, I have over 450,000 views on that platform. So it's interesting how when you find Giphy or Quora and these like niche sites that you wouldn't think would be a good marketing place, you can really do a lot with them. Yeah. So we have over 10 million views just yeah. from GIFs. That's good. And it took me an afternoon maybe right. to make all of those GIFs and then put them up. Right. How did you find and, the right clips? Uh, just, I had a feeling. Okay. Elbow grease a little <laughs> it, bit too. Yeah. I mean, I would ask myself, are these things I would probably use at one point? And yeah, I've used almost all of them. That's awesome. <laughs> and so now there's 10.4 million views and all of those gifts link back to the original content. Oh man. So that's 10 more view possibility. That's 10 more links out there into the world where people might be able to find my content because I took an afternoon to experiment. Right. Mm. Um, the stock photography set that has almost what 4.8 million views and is used on 25,000 different blogs and articles and websites and, and videos. I mean, that took an afternoon of work to do. Mm -hmm. When it seems like a lot of people are sleeping on these platforms. And so is there a platform you think people are currently sleeping on besides Giphy or Quora? Uh, TikTok. Like, really still? Yeah, what? still. I mean... It's it's still in that phase where people are like, oh yeah, Zen, uh, Gen Z is, you know, are the only people on there. I'm like, no, it's no. going to age up. You'd be surprised. I, I've been on there for nearly two years now. I've been on since Musical.ly and there has been plenty of millennials this whole time. They don't go as viral, but there's yeah, been plenty. Yeah, of but those are probably the early adopters, right? Yeah. Exactly. All right. So you still have the mega masses hitting it, right? Mm -hmm. 
You're right. And so there's still room for growth, which means more people are going to be entering it. It's going to age up like it does for, for all social platforms. And then something will come along and take its place. Just imagine the grandpas and grandmas on the platform. <laughs> I remember TikTok. Yeah, back in my day. <laughs> so you work with companies on their content. What sort of things do you offer? Uh, so Studio Cap'n offers a wide range of uh, different content. Uh, some of the stuff we've done lately is we did a entire show package for a touring EDM artist named Trip Streets. Um, we're currently building our own music platform, uh, kind of like uh, the Wave, but you know, a little bit more customizable in terms of on the fly. Mm-hmm. And we do things like branding and websites and, you know, all those standard marketing packages that companies like mine usually do, even though we're spending a lot of time ourselves to create brand new things that have never existed before. Um, you got to take the projects that pay the bills so you can go and innovate, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. And so one last question here before we wrap up. What is something you've never said or talked about that you secretly want to? Hmm, probably politics. Oh. Pr- yeah, you know, I, I like as a social media futurist, I've always kind of stayed away from, from politics. And I think I would probably make a great politician. Do it. Run for president. I'd vote Maybe. for you. I'm, I mean, in five years, I'm going to be 40. Wow. You don't look that yeah. old. I thought it was going to oh, be like 10 I, years from now. Thanks. Uh, I appreciate that. Um, and I, I think the policies I stand for are very centralist, very forward thinking. I want the best for everybody. Mm-hmm. And even though I identify as a Christian, I don't make that my basis for how everybody should operate because that's unfair to everybody who's not in my belief sector, right? Yeah. And I do feel like a lot of people who are, you know, fellow Christians in in my life tend to take the word of God and my my belief system and they manipulate it for their own personal agenda and it usually ends up being a message for hate and yeah. that's not what i'm about i love how you're taking a very open mind about it and trying to change things i love that it's a good point i mean the show. i mean we have a separation of church and state for a reason yeah i definitely. mean do we want a modern day middle ages i don't think so right Dark you know i want too. i want us to have star trek yeah right exactly so where can people find you online uh you can find me on twitter at cap on design uh, you can find my speaker site, hightechinfluencer.com. Uh, I'm available to come and speak to different groups about you know, how to do marketing, where the market's going to go as far as social media futurism, how to innovate in such a way that you can take advantage of new social media platforms and XR. And then, of course, uh, my company, studiocappen.com where we offer a wide range of different services. I'll make sure I have the links for you in the description. In fact, I'm looking at it. It's a long list right here. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> and what do you think could be the call to action for the audience today? Um, go and check out my, uh, my new blog, youtube.com slash Eugene Kappen, which is just my name. Yeah, I have the link right there. It's perfect. And then 
I like to ask this separately from the call to action. What do you think is a call to growth for the audience? Um, make content every day, even if you're tired. doesn't yes. matter what it is. If it flops, it flops. But you know what? You've gained experience that is going to help you evolve to make better content down the road. Make mm -hmm. 100 pieces of crappy content before you ask for a single subscriber. Right. I, I remember hearing you say that. And I think too, today, both of us were pretty tired. We both had a drink coffee before coming on and yet we made some oh, yeah. great content. Oh yeah. I'm running on like four hours of sleep, man. <laughs> oh man. I, well, I'm grateful for you taking the time then today. Once again, this is Dustin Miller, Poly Innovator. My pleasure as well. And this was Eugene Cappen on the Polymath Polycast. Bye guys. Thank <laughs> you.